From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Dr. Major's out this week. Our guest today is Karen Deeroff, a conservation resource biologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. She's going to let us know about a big fishing event coming up and also what you can expect to find on the end of your hook this time of year. Join the conversation this morning. Give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, out this week, but he'll be on the program next week. We do have a guest today. It's Karen Deeroff, a conservation resource biologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. She's here to let us know about the event So You Think You Can Fish and also uh, what you might expect to find the end, on the end of your hook this time of year. Join the conversation this morning with your questions and your comments. The phone number is one 877 MPB ring. It's 1-877-672-7464 or send us an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that two chances to hear Creature Comforts each week, Thursday mornings at 9 with a repeat broadcast, Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope that you all are doing well this morning. Morning. Good morning. So, Libby, last week I think you told us about the uh, new exhibit at the, that's coming up at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Ha- has it opened yet? Yes, it's opened, and um, it's pretty cool. Titanoboa, as you might guess from the name, it's the Titanic of snakes. It's a really big snake. They, they're not, not living nowadays. They were, Thank um, goodness. Yes, and I, you know, I didn't study. I went to the opening and visited with people, and I haven't really, I have to admit, I've not read everything about the exhibit. I've looked at everything and watched the children having lots of fun playing with it. There are a lot of PlayStations and fun things to do, and uh, but it was a prehistoric snake. The skeleton was found some years ago. And, 2009. Oh, to, okay, good. I got the notes. Let Leslie like Karen tell us all about it. <laughs> oh, no, 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 it's not. I've got the notes, but uh, I am by no means a um, snake expert or a fossil expert, uh, but the graphics and the uh, explanation of the exhibit are wonderful, and uh, I strongly encourage everybody to come because it really is impressive. Karen Deeroff is our guest. Karen, always good to have you on the program with us. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about the role of a conservation resource biologist at the museum. Well, there's actually a lot of us with that title. It can be everything from uh, studying freshwater mussels, birds, invertebrates, um, to fish. It's, it's kind of a very wide-ranging title. A lot of our research biologists have the same title. Um, I work in the aquarium section, some of our educators. So it is kind of a catch-all title, but it's... Um, Somebody who helps preserve the resources, knows the resources of the state and in their own unique way. They help uh, preserve them and promote them and help the state as best we can. Now, as you mentioned, uh, you, you work with the aquariums. At, and again, I, I ask you this every time, <laughs> every time. you come on. Aqua- aquaria, would that be the proper or is it aquariums? I Both ways work. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll say aquaria. That sounds very erudite. Yes, it does. <clears throat> uh, but uh, for folks who might not have been to the museum or might not have been lately, uh, remind us because to me the aquari the aquaria are it's really weird, isn't it? one of the, you want to say aquariums. <laughs> one of the highlights of the museum. Tell us about what you have yeah, there. Yeah, they're they're definitely the most popular, in my humble opinion, uh, feature of the museum. We have twenty different tanks, uh, each representing a different habitat that you find throughout the state. Um, We've tried really hard to almost have it like where you can pinpoint on a map. This is supposed to look like right here. Um, So the fish assemblages that are in each each aquarium are unique to that particular area. Um, We cover the whole state. Uh, We have both freshwater and saltwater 
of course, being three hours from the coast or four, depending on how you drive, (laughs) um, most of them are freshwater. But there's a lot of different, very diverse habitats in aquatic ecosystems. And so uh, it's a really unique way to look at fish and the different types of fish that we have in the state. So what are what are some of the challenges you face on um, managing so many different, uh, you know, different tanks? Because you say there's a different sort of ecosystem in each one, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the water quality parameters in each one are, are very unique. Uh, some have obviously different levels of salt in them, depending on whether they're salt water or not. Um, and even within the salt water tanks, some of them have higher salt levels than others. Um, some of our fresh water tanks are very different from each other in terms of their pH or how acidic they are. Uh, one habitat in Mississippi, Hattiesburg and South, has very low pH, so the pH is below 7, kind of more like lemon juice. You know, well, not quite as strong as lemon <laughs> juice, but on that end of the scale. And the fish that live there are very unique. The waters are very tannin. They're dark-colored. Um, then there's the lowest hills, which is uh, kind of the complete opposite. The pH levels are higher. And so, obviously, those two fish could not live in each other's habitats. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Karen Deeroff, who is going to tell us about an upcoming event at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, also talking about fish in general. Uh, if you'd like to join in the conversation with a comment or a question, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Linda is called in from Port Gibson this morning. Hello, Linda. Hello. Go ahead. You're on the air. Yes. My name is Linda. I'm from Port Gibson. Uh, when I lived in Virginia, I had an aquarium and I got some um, exotic uh, little fish to put in there. But uh, moving back here, I need to know what types of uh, fishes, fish that I can, can buy to put in an aquarium. Oh, my gosh. Goodness. There's tremendous variety in pet stores um you can you can go to a pet store and buy fish you can buy everything from cichlids to small tropical fish um be careful when you buy them the some of the tropical fish uh, are more aggressive than others there's what they call community fish that are nice and calm and everybody gets along with everybody and then there's some that pick on each other I know more about the native fish, so I don't know a whole lot about the tropicals. And your best resource there is going to be to talk to the people who work there, uh, and Have they you can heard tell of a you. Beta fish? I'm sorry. A beta fish. Beta fish, yeah, those are really popular. Um, again, uh, the best resource to learn information about what fish go with what would be the people that actually work in the store. Um, but it's a lot of fun to keep native fish too, because then you get to go out and collect them yourself. So. I always try and encourage some people to to think about that as well. You can learn a little bit about what's in our state. We have some pretty fish, too. All right, uh, Linda, always good to hear from you. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. To join the conversation, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. Karen, you mentioned there were both freshwater and saltwater tanks uh, uh, at the museum. Uh, do you Do you make your own saltwater? Actually, we do. Uh, we buy saltwater from a company. It comes in 40-pound boxes. And then we have a room upstairs. We, I call it the brine room. And uh, I, I put my nose to the brine stone. <laughs> um, and so I go up there and mix up the salt water. And the really cool thing about the way the people that designed the building did it, because it's upstairs, it just gravity feeds whenever I open a valve down into the aquarium. So I always joke around. I have hot and cold water, the hot and cold running salt water. <laughs> and it, this thing looks like a giant bread maker. Oh, or like something yeah, else five hundred gallons. Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> I used to have yeah. nightmares about just, falling in it with the paddle going, the paddle wheel mixing the water, and oh, I'll probably I have remember, one tonight now. I remember the day you and I first walked in that room and looked down in that thing, and it was like, oh my god! Yeah, that we, little paddle wheel gets to spinning, and the whole the whole tank, you know, starts having a mm-hmm. um, vortice in it. And then once I mix it up in that tank. Uh, it gets pumped into a much, much larger uh, tank. I keep wanting to say aquarium. Mm-hmm. gets t- pumped into a much larger aquarium and t- <laughs> tank. And then that's the one that holds like 12,000 gallons of salt water so that I can just open a valve downstairs 
and salt water runs down into the aquarium. And that's the one it. we first looked down inside and thought, oh my gosh. No, that one is that was closed. That big it's the small. But I think the top was not on it. Remember oh, right. that? When yeah. they were building it, when we looked in there and thought. <laughs> the engineers made it, uh-oh, and they built the tank like 12 foot tall uh-huh. when it only needed to be 10 foot tall, and they had to cut it in half, put it back together to fit it in the building. <laughs> and then they built the wall. I just remember it was gigantic. <laughs> yes. And I was thinking, are we really going to need that much salt water? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a big recipe here. Yeah. But you also mentioned, you know, that uh, it's like a snapshot of different places in Mississippi, and in, in, uh, in the tank you would find the same kind of uh, fish that you would find in in real life. Do, do you have to worry about, again, some of the fish being more aggressive, and or is there every any kind of fish trying to eat each other, that sort of thing? All that happens all the time, especially tanks with top level predators like gar. Um, every now and then, we'll find fish with big scars down their side from you know almost being munched on by a gar there's some fish we totally avoid uh flathead catfish are really really popular with anglers because they're delicious to eat but they're nocturnal you never see them they only come out at night and then they eat everything in the tank so we what's the point of having them (laughs) so yes there is a fine line between uh what we would like to have on display and what's practical but then again, also, as it's mirroring nature, this happens in nature, so to some extent, yeah, you kind of well, want that. Yeah, well, then we get to go out and collect again. Woohoo! <laughs> and um, we do get that. People come up to the front desk and say, the big fish ate the little fish. And we're kind of like, yeah, that happens. Yes, just what they do. In life. And we actually feed, you feed live fish to a lot of your we have, animals. Yes, so you? we have lots of different food sources. We have uh, pelleted feed, flake feed. Those are all uh, dry. They're very inexpensive. Uh, Some of the advantages would be inexpensive, and they can add uh, vitamins and things like that to them. Uh, But it's not the best thing always for the fish. So then we also get lots of frozen food in. That's the bulk of what we feed. Um, And then we also get a few live items in. We get crickets, worms, and shiners. A lot of aquariums, public aquariums, don't feed live shiners because there's a risk of introducing a disease or a parasite. Um, but we find it's worth it to take that risk to keep our predators nice and fat and sassy. We need to take a break. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion with our guest Karen Deeroff and talk about uh, the event upcoming at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We'll be back with more after this. and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Aaron, who's called in from Arkansas. Mary in Ocean Springs. Marlou is on the line in Jackson. Rachel is in Clarksdale. At MPB Think Radio, we are everywhere you want to go. Sardis, Henleyville, Greenwood, Jackson, Oxford, Ocean Springs, Meridian, Hattiesburg, and we're going to Memphis. So go anywhere you want. We'll be right there with you. MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major is out this week. He'll be back on the show next week. We do have a guest in studio today. It's Karen Deeroff, a conservation research biologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking about fish in general and specifically an upcoming event at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, So You Think You Can Fish. We'll get to that in just a minute, but we do have a caller on the line, so let's go to Louisiana as we say good morning to Timothy. Hello, Timothy. Good morning, y'all. I'm wondering if we have a freshwater in Terramorpha in, in the south. I'm sorry? <laughs> I don't understand Terramorpha? In Terramorpha. Um, it's an out, uh, a very fine crenellated 
um, sometimes called witch's hair. Uh, they're related to ovalobata. You've got me stumped. I know my fish, but I don't know my algaes as well as I evidently should. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Never mind. <laughs> All right, uh, Timothy, thanks for the call. This is Creature Comfort on uh, MPB Think Radio. Um, what would, He said witches. Witches' hair. Witches' hair. I've got... Uh, I've never heard of it, but that doesn't mean it's not here. I've got a computer here. We'll see what uh, the Internet says about witches' hair. Well, yeah, I've got a mental image of it now. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand plus ideas about witches' hair on Pinterest. Well, I don't think that's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if anyone knows about that, call in and let us know. Um, in the meantime, though, uh, Karen, coming up uh, at the museum is the event So You Think You Can Fish. This is a big thing, an annual event, uh, always full of, of, of lots of interesting events for fishers, but also maybe the whole family. Absolutely. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, you said a big event. I, I made myself feel really old uh, a couple weeks ago when I started figuring up how many we've done. Uh, we started it the very the year after we opened. So we've been doing it for 17 years. Wow. And I've been doing it for 16 of those 17 years. So <sighs> that's a long time. <laughs> but yes, we, we have uh, two different panels on how to uh, catch different types of fish. So one uh, panel will be on catfishing. And I've got a couple of different types of anglers lined up. I've got some uh, uh, competitive anglers. They actually have, there's a few competitions that they uh, join and they're anglers. Uh, there's a private river guide, Bob Crosby, who was super popular last year. Um, he goes out on the Vicksburg to Vicksburg to the Mississippi River, and he drags these behemoths up from depths of like 80, 90 feet, and they're huge. And then um, I also have some hand grabbers. Hand grabbing is kind of a unique uh, southern tradition, a way of catching catfish that's very, very strange to some people but it's a lot of fun <laughs> and uh, they're going to talk about some of those different ways of catching catfish the second panel's on kayak fishing which is becoming very very popular um you don't have to go out and spend 50 80 100,000 dollars on a bass boat you can go out and spend a few hundred or even a couple thousand on a kayak but you can get then get into places that you can't get in with those big fancy boats and so uh, kayak fishing has become very very popular so there'll be some recreational kayak fishermen and a couple of competitive anglers as well talking about the tricks and techniques of fishing from a kayak. As you can imagine, there's a few challenges there. <laughs> um, and then we have several kids' events. We're going to have uh, some stations teaching kids how to tie knots on to attach lures, how to identify different lures. Um, we're going to have a scuba diver. So we're going to have several kids' activities as well. We'll continue talking about the event throughout the hour. Looks like we've got another phone call on the line. So this time we're off to Tupelo as Paul has called in. Good morning, Paul. Morning. How are you? Good. What do you have for us? Um, I've got a question. I, I recently moved from California and finally got out of that craziness <laughs> and moved out in the Tupelo area. But I did a lot of sport fishing in Sierra Nevadas, um, mostly for trout and, and brown trout and other sporting fish like that. And my question was, now that I'm out here, are there any uh, trout that are actually indigenous to the to the Mississippi area? Trout, as you know, are, a, are more of a cold water species. Most of our waters in Mississippi are warm water. Uh, there's a, one habitat in the, up in your area, uh, Pickwick, that does have some cold water species. Um, and I've heard reports of brown trout being caught, but we also... Um, I think for a while there, they used to stock small amounts of brown trout, but there's really not much in the way of any kind of trout fishery uh, in the state, just because we pretty pretty much don't have the right habitat for them. Yeah, I've, I've recently switched over to like bass fishing, which is a is a fighting type of sport fish that gives you more more action. Cat fishing was just never seemed to be my thing. They they don't move around a whole lot. That's so. true. <laughs> Uh, the crappie fishing is also very popular, um, and then you can, you know, there are some places you could fly fish. Yeah, I usually wind up hooking everything. <laughs> Me <except> too. <laughs> <for the> fish, <laughs> including uh, my neck. One year, <laughs> I'm not talented that way. So, 
Well, I thank you very much for your help. All right. Sorry to disappoint. We don't have the trout you want. <laughs> well, yeah, at least you don't have earthquakes. That's true. <laughs> All right, Paul, uh, thanks for calling in. We've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to join the conversation on Creature Comforts this morning, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And Karen, I know from you've uh, you know talked about this on this program for a couple of years with us, and I, I'm always impressed by uh, the professional anglers that you get to uh, join in the panels. And this really, for you know, for fishermen, uh, this is really a rare opportunity to kind of pick the brains of these guys that are out there making their living at it. That's true. It, yeah, we always talk about this: how amazing they are and how willing they are to share their knowledge. Um, not like turkey hunters where, you know, they'd rather shoot you than tell you where they got their latest turkey. But these guys always are so happy and willing to tell you what colors they use, what what types of knots and rig styles and where they go and what habitats they look for. Um, so, yeah, it's a great opportunity to get these guys to divulge some of their secrets. They They really are willing to share. It always amazes me. And, you know, the other one that I've always been fascinated about is the, it is, what is the canoodling or noodling or what? That's is, the hand grabbing. Uh, right, yeah, that's right. just another name for it. It's noodling, right? Cause canood- Some people both call it noodling. Okay, because yeah. canoodling, according to Judge Judy, means something else. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's really, that's always been fascinating to me. I don't, I, I mean, just having the kind of nerve to, because you, don't you have to kind of reach down into a, a yeah, cavity of some sort? Exactly. So that's kind of how hand grabbing works is catfish naturally nest in cavities. The female will lay the eggs. The male will then guard the the nest. Uh, She'll lay them on the um, inside of the cavity. So fishermen have learned to make boxes, what they call hand grabbing boxes. Um, The laws used didn't there didn't used to be laws about what type of materials you could use. Now you're not allowed to use hot water heaters and things like that because they can just be dangerous. Uh, But you have to use natural products like wood. So they'll build a box, and then you kind of know where your boxes are. And if you stumble upon somebody else's, too, that's legal. But, you know, you don't want to move their box. But you can run them is what they call it. You take a big, deep breath of air. You go down. You stick your hand in the box. And if you feel a fish in there, you grab it. <laughs> and basically, the fish kind of bites they your bite hand, you back, right? Yeah, because yeah, they're, they're just defending their nest. And that's and, how you pull them out. Exactly. Huh? You're not allowed to use gaffs and things like that. I have to use your hands. A lot of people wear, will wear gloves or some sort of protection on their arm. Like when when we've done it, we've taken old wetsuits that have fallen apart, cut the legs off, and then put those on our arms to protect your arm from getting scratched and scraped. Um, but I will never forget the first time I was with my husband and he stuck his hand in a box. He uh, kind of, you feel around the edge, and if the mud is kind of hard, you think there might be a fish in there. And so he reached in and it, and it bit him, just like you said, Libby. And he surfaced really quick. There was this giant bubble of air, and then he surfaced, and his eyes were big as saucers, and he's like, it bit me! (laughs) Of course it did. (laughs) And of course, then when he went back to try and get it the second time, it had left. So you learn to block the hole with your feet. uh, But yeah, it takes some courage to do that. And let it bite you. Let it bite you. Well, we've seen those guys have some scars on their arms. Oh, yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Um, Another friend of mine, he he had a finger busted doing it one time. So it's not without risks, but it sure is a unique way to catch fish. And now a few actually use an oxygen tank, don't they? Like a scuba or... Yeah, I don't know that that's legal. I'm sorry, I don't know all the laws, but I'm not sure that's... Legal? It may be legal, but it's certainly not ethical. That's I not how I've you're seen supposed that on to YouTube. Do it. Yeah, it sounds like you shouldn't really. Do yeah, that. it sounds yeah. like that's part of the challenge is holding your breath and finding yeah. it in time. Yeah. And, yeah. But I would say too is uh, if if I ever do that and and the fish bites me and that I'm not going to let that fish get away. Come, you say you that, know. but you know when you're trying to hold on to a forty pound fish that's fighting for its life, it's a little hard to do. Uh, we've got a caller on the line, so why don't we say good morning to Robert, who's called in from Brandon. Hello, Robert. Go ahead, please. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, my uh, my address is to Karen here. Um, this is actually uh, Robert of the Robert and Judy that uh, helps uh, volunteer do Oh, yeah. Shooting. Hey. Yeah, I, I just tuned in, and I heard you on there, and I wanted to uh, call in and hopefully um, – get a plug in for the fish feeding exhibitions. I didn't know if you'd already mentioned them or not. uh, I've mentioned them very briefly, but if you want to tell some folks a little bit about what you do. Uh, Well, I don't know how many volunteers there are now. It's it's about 
10 or so, something like that. About, that doing. sounds about right. Yeah. Um, three times a week, uh, the fish are fed, you know, live uh, with a scuba diver and uh, with a hookah. That's what we call it, uh, just an airline coming down from the top so you don't actually have a tank on your back. Uh, but I've seen small crowds, and I've seen really, really big crowds sometimes out there. Um, the kids love it. And, uh, you know, as a diver, it's a lot of fun to get in there. And, you know, normally you're taught recreational diving not to touch the fish and not to, um, you know, <laughs> try to interact with them, just leave them be. But yeah, this it, is... It's a very different experience when you have the food. This is kind of the opposite of everything you learn in diving, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. But it's a lot of fun. And, uh I just wanted to say, you know, thank you to you for letting us do it for this long. And well, thank uh, you to you people. for helping us out because we love our volunteer divers. It's a it, it, crucial it's part of our outlet. yeah. It's a crucial part of our operation. We love all of our volunteer divers. So thank you for for saying that. I've never done that before, and I should have thought of it. But yes, anybody who's a certified diver, uh, only certified divers. We have a program where, like Rob said, you can come and dive and feed the fish and interact with the public. And it's and in the aquarium. So in the like aquarium. Clear, yeah. In the aquarium with the fish. And uh, we we need our divers because it's a big part of our programming. Um, the public loves it. And it's, uh, I call it luxury diving. Like you said, you don't have to wear the tank. Um, right. You don't have to wear fins because you're not going anywhere. And it's a lot of fun. And the visibility is great. <laughs> <laughs> And the fish, yeah, they'll come right up to you and rip the food out of your hands. And so anybody out there uh, who might be interested, contact the museum and ask for our volunteer coordinator. And she'll get you set up. All right, uh, Robert, thanks for your call this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's get one call in before our next break. And it goes to Jean, who's on the Gulf Coast today. Good morning, Jean. Hi, it's actually Jean. Jean, sorry. Uh, The French version. Um, I appreciate you taking my call. My question has to do with a new aquarium that's coming to the Gulf Coast. There are potentially going to be dolphins, cetaceans in there that have uh, very high sentience. They live in family pods. They are typically fished um, off the coast of Japan. is a frequent place that they come from. And they're caught in quite a brutal way and brought to uh, aquariums and and dolphin shows and things of that like. So I was just wondering about your experts' views on uh, cetaceans living out their lives in um, a place that's not an enriched environment like an aquarium, um, what she would think about that and what her comments would be. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I know this is a controversial subject. Um, there are a lot of public aquariums that do have dolphins. I don't know if this one is going to or not. I haven't really heard. Um, we don't have them because we don't have the facility, and uh, they uh, take a lot of work. I do know that uh, the institutions that have them are held to very high standards. So um, I'm just going to leave it at that, though, because it is so controversial, and I just don't really know. Yeah, it's not a, it's not something that you've had to be involved with at no, all. No, I have in not your personally. aquarium business. You know. Correct. All righty. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to continue talking with our guest, Karen Deeroff. We're talking about the event coming up at the museum. Uh, so you think you can fish, but also fishing in general. If you have a, a home aquarium and need some help, I think Karen will be able to give you some assistance. The number to call to join the conversation is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. standing member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield. And our guest today, Karen Deroff, a conservation resource biologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking about fishing, aquariums, uh, and also an event that's coming up at the museum, So You Think You Can Fish. So, Karen, you told us a little bit about some of the panels involved in the uh, in the event, but we've not really gotten into the specifics. So uh, the, give us the, the dates and times. Okay. The date is this Saturday. And uh, we always try and have it the first Saturday in February. That kind of corresponds with, corresponds with the uh, start of the fishing season. It's hard to believe. I'm originally from Connecticut. I never think of February as the start <laughs> of fishing season, but it is. So it's this Saturday. The first panel will start at 9 o'clock. So plan on getting to the museum a little early. We open a little early that day just to accommodate that. Um, the event is free with regular admission, so you don't have to pay anything extra. And if you uh, want to learn from the best of the best of the best, this is a good place to come. All right, very good. Uh, we've got some open phone lines if you'd like to join in our conversation at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also email the show animals at mpbonline.org. So you mentioned uh, fishing season is opening. It, again, it might be a good time to remind folks of the need for a fishing license, and also uh, what the proceeds uh, or some of the proceeds from fishing and hunting licenses goes to. Um, yeah. Uh, so one thing I forgot to say is where the Museum of Natural Science <laughs> in the Flores Bluff State Park. But yes, you do have to be a legal fisherman. You do have to purchase a license. Um, I think there's children under a certain age can fish for free um, and senior citizens. Um, I can't remember the details about where the money goes. Help me, Libby. Well, gosh, they it, none of the money that's for license sales can go to anything other than wildlife conservation type projects. So I, I, I think, I guess the hunting and fishing money is kind of all in there together, but it's all used on on wildlife conservation within the state of Mississippi. So well, you know, and that's kind of why I like the to, Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. To bring that up when we mentioned the hunting and fishing license, because people would think, oh, well, you know, why would I want one of those? But the thing is, if you enjoy hunting and fishing, realize that the money you're paying for that license is going into helping preserve uh, the hunting and fishing areas for you, for your children, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. why when we talk about that, I do like to kind of bring that up. Yeah. And actually, it, it, when you're hunting and fishing, your money is also... Um, you know, it's helping the future of hunting and fishing and uh, taking care of the sites where people hunt and fish a lot of times because um, a lot of the state lakes are owned by the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks and managed by them. And I guess um, even some uh, of the federal forests are used as wildlife management areas that you can hunt and fish that way. So the, the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks is involved in conservation of and recreation with wildlife all over the state. So, um, Karen, what about the best fishing spots in the state? I mean, I guess uh, th that sometimes goes from word of mouth, but uh, Libby mentioned the, the state parks and, and the lakes there. Uh, what are some of the other opportunities for fishermen in, in Mississippi? Yeah, one year for So You Think You Can Fish, we actually covered this, and uh, there's a, actually a lot of uh, public waters that some are owned by Pat Harrison Waterway District. The Army Corps of Engineers has several large reservoirs that are famous for their crappie fishing. Um, of course, the department, the Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, I guarantee you, if no matter where you are in the state, you are not more than 30 minutes from some public water that you can go fish. Um, the best thing I can tell you to do would be to go to the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks website. And they have maps of all the different state lakes um, that you can use to fish. And uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Somebody's singing. Um, you can use that map. Um, and it will also, they also have a fishing report that tells what's biting when and where. Um, I myself am not a great fisherman, so I'm probably not the person to ask. <laughs> but again, come to the event this weekend. You can ask these guys where they like to go fish. 
You're too busy keeping them alive in the aquariums <laughs> together. Yes, exactly. yes. When, when I go get yes. fish, I don't exactly play fair. So I, I don't fish. You know, we use special equipment to get fish that we have perm- we have license and permits for. Yeah, I'm more of a fish eater and cooker. Um, I'm, I'm not into catch and release, and I know a lot of people are enjoy the catching. I like the catching if I get to eat what I've caught. <laughs> So if uh, folks are out uh, fishing uh, in February, maybe in uh, early March, what uh, what's biting? What what type of fish are they liable to catch this time of year? This time of year would be mostly crappie. Crappie bite the earliest. Um, they're the crazy guys that are out there in the middle of winter with their parkas and their rain gear on, and they're <laughs> they're camped out when it's twenty below zero, just about. But yeah, crappie first, uh, and then uh, shortly as the water warms up. Um, gets to certain temperatures bass would probably be next and then brim um again water temperature is really crucial to what fish start biting when and uh i should know those things but i don't because like i said i don't fish a whole lot um but again this is more information you can pick the brains of our panelists that so you think you can fish uh call us if you'd like to join the conversation the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring our phone number is one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We have a caller on the line. Let's say good morning to John in Brookhaven. John, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question about uh, kayak fishing. If these kayaks have to be registered with the state, like a motorboat, where you have an identification number on them to use them in the uh, public waters? I don't believe so. I think non-motorized craft under a certain size don't have to have registrations. Uh, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, Call I'm the department's sure true, yeah. main yeah. office and ask, but I don't think they do. Now, if you had a trolling motor on there, I think that changes the game. And some of them right. do actually mount trolling motors on them. But if it's just a strictly non-powered, non-motorized, human-powered craft under a certain size, I think you're fine. Okay, and uh, following up with that, are there any lakes like down here where I live in southwest Mississippi that restrict the use of a kayak? None that I know of. Mm -mm. I know that on all the state parks and state lakes you can do it. You just need to watch where you are because um, motorboats maybe are not as used to seeing a kayak out there. So just kind of be sure you're visible. The Ross Barnett Reservoir has actually, in the last year, built some kayak ramps so they're actually encouraging people on Ross Burnett to kayak fish because they're building boat ramps specific to kayaks. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, John. Appreciate your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to uh, ask a question about uh, aquaria or fishing or the So You Can Think You Can Fish event coming up, uh, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or you can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. So, Karen, earlier in the show, we mentioned uh, the uh, exhibit at the museum, um, Titanoboa. Did I say that right? Yep. Titanoboa, Uh, the giant, uh, a fossil of a giant snake. Uh, Give us, if you could, some some more details on that. It is an impressive sight to see. It really is. Uh, Of course, it's not the live snake, like we said, it's the fossilized remains of it. Um, But it's the largest snake ever found. It was found in uh, La Jara in Colombia in 2009 in a strip mine. Um, and they actually found more than one of these fossils, I believe. Um, but they kind of dated it by looking at the leaves found. Um, and there, um, let's see, it says uh, there was a turtle in there the size of a pool table. There was a <laughs> blunt-nosed crocodile and the Titanoboa. So um, it was one of many large species or a few large species in that area. Um, But, yeah, its girth is, uh, I can't even begin to tell you how how big around it is. It's huge. I mean, I couldn't reach my arms around it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the model is 48 feet long. Oh, wow. Now, keep in mind, the largest snake species we have in Mississippi is the uh, pine snake is uh, about eight feet long. It's like so, six times as long exactly. as... Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the indigo is about the I'm same, sorry, the indigo. That's what I meant yeah, to say. The indigo. indigo. Yeah, about eight feet. Thank no. you for correcting me. Yeah, and um, they're very rare. You're not going to see No, you're not going to see one. We have one on display uh, that came to us from Florida where indigos are still found. But, um, 
you have the um, in Mississippi, they used to be here and there. Who, who knows? Maybe there's a few slithering around somewhere. But, uh, yeah, it gives you a good idea for comparison when you see our little snake compared to this massive thing. And the model that they have sent us is eating some sort of a crocodilian. Hmm. <laughs> as, as much as people are afraid of snakes, uh, modern day snakes, I could imagine what what they might react if they saw a forty eight foot. Oh, snake. we would be prey for sure. <laughs> uh, let's take one final break of this hour. When we get back, Steve's on the line. We'll get to his question and uh, a chance for you to work in your question as well. The phone number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. Call us at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Back with more of the program after this. MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest today, Karen Deroff, a conservation resource biologist at the museum, who's telling us more about the event So You Think You Can Fish. We've been talking about that throughout the hour. Uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to remind folks of all the details on that, but we've got a couple of calls to get to. So we begin with Steve, who's called in on the road this morning. Steve, good morning. Go ahead, please. Morning. How are you? Good. We just finished a dam on our property. We live in Baldwin. And uh, it's about six feet deep now. It'll probably be 20 feet when we're done. I noticed we had a blue heron out there this morning. He looked pretty disappointed because there's nothing in the lake yet. <laughs> so I was just wondering what, if there's any advice on stocking and, you know, good place to go to get fish and when to do it and all that. There are a few companies uh, that do stock lakes. <sighs> Southeastern Pond Management, I believe, is one. Um that they will come and they'll stock your fish. I don't know the prices, um, but, yeah, you'll have to call one of these private stocking companies. Many, many years ago, the state used to do that for people, but uh, it's not feasible anymore for the state to be in that kind of business when there's, especially now that there's some private companies out there doing it. But uh, be careful what you stock. Uh, I know it's tempting. A lot of people think it's a fun idea to put some crappie in a small lake. But uh, they're not recommended for anything under 500 acres just because they reproduce so quickly that they can overpopulate a lake. And then all you're stuck with is lots of tiny crappie. (laughs) All right, Steve, uh, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, Let's go next. Uh, Mary's called in from Braxton today. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. I just had a thought about that snake. You know, if it was one that size to talk to you, no wonder she listened what was that? I said, I had a thought about that big snake you were talking about. Right. And if there was one that big to talk to Eve, no wonder she listened. <laughs> oh. oh, to Eve. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so you think she was made to eat that apple, huh? <laughs> All right. Mary, thanks for the call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Um, so let's uh, let's remind folks uh, of the event that's coming up again. It's so it's so you think you can fish. It's this Saturday, beginning. I think you said at nine. Nine o'clock, right? The first panel will be on kayak fishing from nine to ten forty ten thirty. Then we'll take a quick break. Um, let our moderator Bobby Cleveland have a moment to drink some water, go to the restroom, whatever. And then uh, the next panel will start at ten forty five and go to about twelve fifteen or so, and that would be the one on catfishing. Um, and uh, it's free admission or free with your museum admission. Uh, we'll start at 9. So, you know, normally the museum doesn't open till 9. But because this event starts at 9, we'll open the doors a few minutes early. Uh, there will be activities for kids as well. So bring the whole family. 
And then also, obviously, the museum is open, so after the event is over, you could certainly wander maybe downstairs, look at Absolutely, the aquarium. Absolutely, yeah, uh, come see the fish you want to come catch. <laughs> and the Titanoboa, yes. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Going back to the aquariums, uh, we have a couple of catfish in the aquariums that are probably 30 pounds or more, maybe a tiny bit more, so... These are some of the big big guys that you would be after if you're uh, going out with Bob Crosby on the river or hand trying to hand grab. Uh, like I said, we don't have flathead catfish, but we do have blue catfish on display and channel catfish. So those are the ones you're trying to catch when you go out um, hand grabbing and angling. <laughs> the uh, the kayak fishing seems uh, interesting to me, and I I would imagine I don't I've never been in a kayak, but I would imagine it's learning just to stay in it without capsizing is is a is a challenge as a matter of fact one of our panelists last year uh brought a short video clip where he showed himself setting the hook where bass fishing you know you have to kind of jerk pretty hard to set the hook on a bass and that because that's a question he gets a lot how do you keep from tipping over how do you keep from falling out and you can see the kayak that he's in is very very stable it rocks just a tiny bit when he sets the hook in these videos uh but uh it's actually pretty stable. Um, and then, of course, it's because it's very wide and he sits very low in the kayak, it's a lot more stable than you realize. Um, and then they have all this other equipment on there so that some of these really fancy ones can get pretty heavy. Um, but you can go as simple or as complicated as you like, probably like with most sports you can <laughs> activities. You can get really fancy or you can go kind of basic. Uh, so that's why I also have some recreational fishermen on there, too. And... Um, one thing that I thought was really fascinating with these tournaments these kayak fishermen go to is uh, how they record the fish. In traditional bass tournaments, you put the fish in your live well and you keep the five largest ones and, you know, they have these special little markers on the fish and then you have to bring them live to the weigh-in. Well, then they release them at the weigh-in and all that's very stressful on the fish and, and they do have good survival, but there's some mortality with all of these fish. Um the kayak fishermen do it a very, very different way. They catch the fish, they take a picture of it digitally, mm. upload it to the tournament website, and then that's their record. And then they release the fish right where they caught it. And the beauty of that is that the fish has very minimal stress and it can go right back to its habitat, its home range. So as opposed to being drugged halfway across the lake and then released somewhere else where it may not have been caught. So I think it's probably much better for the fish and the habitat overall the way the kayak fishermen do it. I, maybe they can take a – the bass fishing tournaments can take a note from the kayak fishing tournaments. <laughs> and also, as you were saying, uh, it must be fun to do that because you, you're you not tied down to a large boat. You, it's kind of you and the kayak. It's almost like a one thing. And you, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, you can yeah. go in areas where you can't get to with uh, with other boats. Exactly. In, in those thick weeds and up those little narrow chutes and channels and yeah. creeks. And I know um, a lot of women that really love to have their kayak. They can pick it up themselves and right, right. And, you know, take care of the boat easier. It's it's you can have a lot of freedom with the kayak, and you can portage easily if you want to carry it to right. another little inlet. And yeah, just fun. I, as I said, I um, <clears throat> I'm not sure I would. I you know I like going out in like in the Gulf or whatever, but I've I've had this odd fear of things you know like feet dangling there's a fish and other creature and so i'm not Too sure <laughs> i'm not sure i would like being that close to the fish and the natural surroundings in the kayak but that's just me um let's spend the last few minutes of the program uh, talking a little bit about aquaria and uh, care of uh, you said one of the things that is uh, of, of 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 importance is is water quality um and i guess Probably for the most important part for the home aquarium person that's also important Absolutely. Um, and that's the hardest thing to try and teach people when they're setting up an aquarium is how crucial that water quality is. A lot of people will uh, buy an aquarium, throw some water in it, add a fish almost immediately and think, ta-da, I have an aquarium. When actually it's that's very far from the truth. One of the most important parts of an aquarium is the bacteria that's growing in the aquarium, in the water. We tend to think of a bacteria as always being harmful, germs. But there's actually more beneficial bacteria in the world than good, I mean, than harmful, uh, good beneficial bacteria. And one of the bacteria that species that we try to get to grow in an aquarium are what actually break down the fish waste. Fish release mostly ammonia, which is very toxic. If you've ever changed a kitty litter box, that's what <laughs> burns your eyes if you've waited too long. 
Um, so one kind of bacteria breaks that down, and then there's another kind of bacteria that breaks down the next product called nitrite into something harmless called nitrate. It takes about a month for there to be enough bacteria in an aquarium to do all that effectively. So most people that set up an aquarium in their homes, their fish are doing fine for the first day, the first week, maybe the first two weeks, and then they hit that one-month mark and everything goes horribly wrong and all the fish die. And it's usually because the ammonia and the nitrite have built up too much in the water and killed the fish and the bacteria are struggling to keep up there it takes a long time for one bacteria to divide into two to four to eight six you know exponentially um if you can get past that four to six week mark you're golden but that's the hardest time is those first four to six weeks in getting an aquarium started because you've got to get those bacteria growing is there a way to encourage that bacteria growth there are yeah there's some some shortcuts um you can start by just letting it happen naturally um having maybe one fish in there that's maybe not a very expensive fish or your favorite and knowing that there's chances that it may not survive um and a lot of people used to do it that way you can also uh set up the aquarium have the water and you can add ammonia like a chemical version of ammonia to the water um but now aquariums and pet stores rather sell uh, the bacteria in a bottle. Hmm. You can just add this quick start, I think is a lot of times what it's called. It's, it's an actually an inoculation of the bacteria that you want. And so a lot of people can get past this first break-in period. It's called new tank syndrome. You can get ba- past it by adding the actual bacteria. So it's, it's doable. It's very doable. So it sounds like um, if anyone wants to dive into, forgive the pun, you know, having an aquarium at home, uh, the thought is slow and steady, take it easy, don't rush too much. I would imagine also in terms of how many fish you have in there, slowly Add them slowly and do not overfeed. All right. (laughs) Do not overfeed. (laughs) 30 seconds left. Just one more chance for you to remind folks about So You Think You Can Fish. Natural Science Museum this Saturday, February 4th, free with your regular admission, starting at 9 a.m. and lasting till about uh, 1230. Uh, Seminars on kayak fishing and catfishing and activities for the kids. Very good. And then the uh, museum located in LaFleur's Bluff State Park in Jackson. So thanks, Karen, for coming in and telling us about that. So so you think you can fish this Saturday at the museum. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th years of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife. And from contributions like listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Sam Wells. So for Libby Hartfield and Karen Deeroff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. That's followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.